God is good. All the time. It's so good to worship with you today. I noticed that Easter comes late this year. Did you notice that? Uh, in fact, it can only come one day later than this. And the last time that happened was in 1943. So some of you uh, may remember that day. That may have been a day when you worshiped the Lord. The next time it happens, 2038. And unless Jesus returns or takes me home, I'm planning to be worshiping on that day. But for us, Easter comes right on time. Last weekend for Palm Sunday, we looked at the token crown of popularity, and then on Friday night, we looked together at the terrible crown of thorns. I posed a simple question to you in those services. Is Jesus a means to an end, or is he the end itself? Today, I want to take a long look at our risen Lord and see why he is not a means to an end. And just to illustrate this, I was driving down Memorial Drive uh, this last week and I passed by a small kolache shop. They make excellent kolaches. Um, And on their little sign, they had printed, Christ is risen. My heart just leapt within me. Christ is risen, it said. And then it said, order your risen rolls and kolaches early. And so, pardon me, I'm not trying to be critical, but I thought, I think they're missing the point. I have studied the word risen in the Greek in the New Testament, and, you know, it would be more like this. If you bought some rolls on Friday, and you kept them till Sunday, and you opened the bag, and they were all gone, that's more like he is risen. (laughs) He is not here. That's not a good way to sell rolls, I think, to think that they would all be gone, but... I have nothing against entrepreneurs, but I think it's an example of what I I meant to say in the last couple of weeks. Jesus did not rise so that we could sell more rolls. Jesus did not rise so that he might be the means to the end of what we want, so that I'll do something for you, Jesus, so that you will do something for me. In fact, we read in the book of Revelation about a church, a church that came to understand what it means that Jesus is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Their very name, Smyrna, is the Greek word for myrrh, that which is used to prepare bodies. They lived in a place where the fragrance of life was trying to cover the fragrance of death, but things seemed to be working in reverse. Would you open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Revelation 2. 8 through 11. We'll be looking at other verses this morning as well, but let's focus in on these words of Jesus, the risen Lord, who appears to his church in the first chapter, who speaks to John and who speaks with a voice that sounds like a waterfall, words that bring both challenge and comfort. Let's stand together as we read God's word, Revelation 2. Verse 8, in the midst of the seven letters to the churches, in the second letter, this is what Jesus says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. 
Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Would you pray with me, Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Those who suffer have an insight into relationship with God that those who do not suffer do not. In fact, I pondered this this week and contemplated that there's three ways that we suffer in our our lives, we suffer sometimes just by being part of a fallen world. So nothing we did, but just Adam and Eve took a bite from the apple and everything changed. They start tilling the ground and find that thorns grow out of the ground. It's just a fallen world. Sometimes we suffer because we are servants of Christ, because we're doing the right things and other people don't appreciate that. And sometimes we suffer because we're doing the wrong things and we're experiencing the natural consequences for that. The people in Smyrna were suffering for doing the right things. The book of 1 Peter says, if you're going to suffer, make sure you're suffering because you've been doing the right things, not the wrong things. And Smyrna fulfilled that. In fact, of all the seven churches, they may have been doing better than any. After all, Ephesus had left their first love. And Laodicea, living in Laodicea, was living lukewarm. But here we find believers, saints, who were suffering in Smyrna. And they must have wondered at some point, what's the point? What's the point of loving Jesus? What's the point of giving our lives to follow Him if all we're going to do is endure persecution and suffering and ridicule and difficulty? But Jesus will not allow them to think for a moment that He is a means to an end. No, He comes and the first words that He speaks in the book of Revelation are, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the Alpha. I'm the beginning of life. And I'm the omega, that is the end, the last letter in the Greek alphabet. I am the end and I will be there in the end. So why would you ever think that I, the end, am just a means to your end? And the point is, Jesus says, relationship with me. And he reveals himself in power and glory as the risen Lord. John walked with him for three years. John was there at the transfiguration. But he's never seen him like this before as he's depicted in chapter 1. Whereas his hair is is white with the the white of wisdom. Proverbs 16.32 says a white crown is is a crown of wisdom. His eyes are like fire. His face is brilliant, shining like The Son, Jesus, speaks and His words are like the sound of a waterfall. This summer I'll be going to Zambia, to North Rise University, and while there I'll be in Livingston and I'll get to see uh, that great waterfall there. And when I see that great waterfall, I remember that the natives of Zambia years ago used to call that waterfall the smoke that roars. Well, that's Jesus' voice as He speaks It's like the sound of many waters and Jesus begins to speak and John falls on his face on the ground and Jesus puts his hand on his shoulder and lifts him to his feet and walks among his churches and says, I want you to speak to the angel, that is the messenger, to the pastors of these seven churches. And some of them need a challenge. 
And some of them need comfort. And Smyrna needs comfort because they're suffering. They need to know that there is hope. Maybe you, like me, have wondered. I've been looking and thinking since the beginning of this year. More funerals in a short period of time than we've ever had. And as Easter came later and later this year, I wondered, I wondered when will Easter come? Life after life is lost. People in their teens, people in their 20s, people in their 30s, people in their 40s, people in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and last week in their 90s have passed away since the beginning of this year as a part of this church family. And we might be tempted with the cynics to say, Look, all we do is live to die. We live and we die. It's like Paul says in Romans chapter 8. We're, we're like sheep going to the slaughter. What's the point, we may ask, if we're just going to live to die? But I come to you in the name of the risen Lord to say to you this morning, we don't live to die. We die to live. And Jesus died so that he might live again. And not only he, but all who live in him will live forever. And we may die one death, but we will not die, the Scripture says, the second death. Because if you're born once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. Watch Jesus as He provides the example of one who died to live. That's not all Jesus did. He's not just an example. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not diminishing the cross in any way. But when Jesus died, He died in order to live again. He knew that on the third day He would rise. And He speaks to these people in Smyrna who are losing their lives for His sake and says to them, it is not in vain. You don't have anything to fear from the second death. They may take your life. Justin Martyr said, you may kill us, but you can't hurt us. You, you may kill us, but you can't hurt us. Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're going to experience persecution in this world. 2 Timothy 3.12, All who live godly will experience persecution, prompting George McLeod to say, The wonder of the church today is that we're not doing anything that would make anybody persecute us. In fact, we're not looking for persecution. But as we do what Christ has called us to do, we will find ourselves like the salmon, sometimes swimming upstream. This is the way it is for those who choose to follow Christ. And what Jesus does as He appears in all of His glory in chapter 1 is remind us that He, the omniscient God, knows our suffering. Listen, these people in Smyrna are singing, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And Jesus says, I know. And when Jesus says that, He doesn't know at a distance. He knows personally because He lived among us, because He walked among us. He knew what it was like to hunger and to thirst and to be deprived of sleep and then to have His hands and feet nailed to a cross. Jesus knows your suffering like nobody else in the world knows. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer in this world. And this this omniscient God says, I know I know what you're feeling, but he does more than that. He he not only recognizes their suffering, but he controls the timing of their suffering. So he goes on to say, this suffering will last for 10 days. If you're suffering, you don't want to suffer for a minute. But by saying 10 days, he says it's going to be complete. And it is going to end. 
Your suffering is not going to last forever. There will come a moment when your suffering will end. This is Jesus' great promise to His church that we may suffer for a season, but we will not suffer forever. The omniscient God says, I know. The omnipresent God says, I am with you in your suffering. Listen to the the philosophers through the ages who have tried to describe uh, suffering. People like Marx and and Heidegger, the existentialist, they agreed that, that there is an alienation in life, that, that, that life is, sort of leaves us displaced. We are uh, unheimlichkeit, as, as, um, as Heidegger described it. We are those who, who feel alone in the world. G.K. Chesterton, the Christian, said, I wondered why, even when I was at home, I felt homesick. We can feel that way because this world is not our home. It's even in the Disney song, in The Lion King, the circle of life, that sort of happy song. But if you understand what they're saying, it is you live and then you die and then you become fertilizer and then the fertilizer causes plants to grow and then the little animals eat the plants and then they live. And isn't that a happy way for you to think about eternity? Oh, we better have more to offer than that. More than I heard at that funeral years ago when the preacher stood up and said, when you think of your child who has died, just remember there's a star twinkling in the sky up there somewhere. And just look at that star and remember your child. What? Didn't Jesus rise from the dead? Didn't he overcome death, hell, and the grave? So what have we to fear? He's the one who's in control this omniscient, omnipresent God says, I am with you. When Daniel saw him in all his glory, it took an angel to tap Daniel on the shoulder and comfort him. But when John falls on his face, Jesus himself, Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, Jesus himself puts his hand on his shoulder as if to say, you may suffer, but you will not suffer alone. You remember that movie, Castaway? years ago and Tom Hanks I'm coaching volleyball these days who knew that I would ever get to coach volleyball but having a daughter has changed everything in our home and so I'm coaching volleyball and I go down to the sports authority to to buy her a volleyball and find out that their best-selling volleyball you're not surprised is Wilson no not just Wilson the brand but Wilson I mean Wilson the volleyball from the movie Castaway you know, with the little face, the little face, you know, the little fiery face, and that was his only friend. And, you know, you just think about it. You would be really miserable if a volleyball were your best friend. But it turns out it's a bestseller these days. Maybe there are a lot of lonely people in this world. But Jesus says, if you are in me, you will never be alone. He promises never to leave us. No, never alone. Even when we are suffering, this omnipotent God, this all-powerful God, comforts us in our suffering he comes to us he will not leave us alone so in Ellen Vaughn's book the God who hung on the cross she tells about Cambodia in 1999 a preacher whose name was Tui Sang that's not really his name I can't tell you his real name but Tui Sang goes there in 1999 and he's preaching in the villages of northern Cambodia and he discovers people there who are Buddhists and people there who worship at their spirit houses, who worship their little demon gods. And then he encounters people and he's beginning to tell them about Jesus and one of the women says, we've been waiting 20 years for you to come and tell us about the God who hung on the cross. He said, tell me about that. She said, missionaries came 
When I was very young, they told my grandmother and my mother, they told me about the God who hung on the cross. And when the Khmer Rouge, the communists, came into Cambodia and they made us dig our own graves so that they could bury us in those graves, everybody was crying out for help as they dug their graves. And some were screaming out to Buddha and others were screaming out to their demon gods. And the only one I could think of who could help me would be the God who hung on the cross that I had heard about when I was a child, that if he had suffered on a cross, then he would know what it was like for me to suffer as well. So I began to pray at the top of my voice and scream out, Oh God who hung on the cross! And all those who were praying to Buddha stopped and joined me. And all those who were praying to their demon gods stopped and joined me. And we all began to shout at the top of our lungs, Oh God who hung on the cross! And then in the eerie stillness of that humid day, we turned to face our captors and they had all fled. And for 20 years, for 20 years, we've been waiting for somebody to come and tell us more about the God who hung on the cross. Can I tell you about him this morning? That he wore a crown of thorns on Friday. He wore a crown of thorns because after Adam and Eve fell, thorns grew from the ground for the very first time. And Jesus had to wear a crown of thorns He had to suffer the consequences of our sin so that He could set us free to live. And Jesus, who reigns in heaven today, is not wearing a token crown of popularity. He's not wearing a terrible crown of thorns. But He is wearing, He says to the people in Smyrna and Houston, He is wearing a crown of life. The crown that is life itself. So He tells them two things. First... Don't be afraid. Do not be fearful. You do not have anything to fear. Those may sound like empty words in view of what you are facing in these days. You may say, I have every reason to fear. I've heard this diagnosis. I've received this slip from my boss. I've encountered this difficulty in my relationship with my spouse. I'm struggling in this way in my family. Why wouldn't I be afraid? Earlier this year, I was reading through the Scripture in a difficult moment, and I read these words. There they were, filled with dread, when there was nothing to dread. We have many things in this world that we are afraid of, but if we could see Jesus as John saw Jesus, as the church in Smyrna saw Jesus, we would understand. I think about Tilman Geske, who was a, a German missionary in that same city of Izmir that used to be Smyrna, who four years ago this week went to work as a pastor and was attacked because he had presented the gospel to five young men, and they took Tilman Geska and two other Christian workers' lives right there in that same city of Izmir, Smyrna. We still live as, as, lamb facing, as lambs facing the slaughter. We still face difficulty. We still hear bad diagnoses. But this is what he says. Don't be afraid because when you see that I have overcome death, that I have been there and done that, who do you know who can say, yeah, I remember when I was dead? There's only one. His name is Jesus. And when he says to the church, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear the second death because I am with you and I have overcome death once and for all. You and I can take him at his word. I hear it in Tolkien's voice as he he tells the story of little Samwise Gamgee who was such a good friend to 
to Frodo. Let's be good friends. Amen? And in the Lord of the Rings, we, we read about Sam, and, and he sees a white star twinkle for a while, and the beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land, and hope returned to him, it says, for like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach, and then His song in the tower had been defiance rather than hope, for then he was thinking of himself. Now for a moment, his own fate ceased to trouble him. Putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. Would that God would give us that gift, that we would look beyond the shadow and see the star and recognize that there is a light that is greater than all the darkness in this world. There is a life that overcomes death. We don't live to die We die to live. Don't be afraid, he says. And whatever you do, he goes on to say in verse 10, be faithful, be full of faith. Be those who are faithful to the finish because you know that Christ is the omega. He's the end. He's the first. He'll be there at the last. He's the beginning. He'll be there at the end. He was faithful all the way to the cross. And so must his followers be. And he says to those people in Smyrna, the one who overcomes has nothing to fear from the second death. Now, a recent book has come out by Rob Bell. He says, you have nothing to fear at all because there is no second death. He's wrong about that. He's right about a lot of things, but he's wrong about that. The idea that there is no hell is a very, very uh, pleasant thought. But in fact, that's not what the Scripture teaches. But the Scripture does teach that hell was not created for people Hell was created for the devil and his angels, but you and I, by trusting in Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, know that even when we die, we will live. Here is hope for the sufferer. The end of our story is not suffering. The end of our story is not death, just as the end of Jesus' story was not death, but life. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. Think think about Polycarp who was in that same city of Smyrna today, Izmir, years ago on a trip of the seven churches, a tour of the seven churches. I jogged through that town on a Sunday morning and saw a small church there, the church of St. John, because we believe that John, who wrote Revelation, discipled a man named Polycarp. John was in his 90s, Polycarp in his 30s when John discipled him. And Polycarp years later would stand before the emperor and the emperor would say if you renounce Christ I'll let you live and this pastor of Smyrna Izmir today this pastor Polycarp said 80 and 6 years have I served my king and he has done me no harm how can I deny my lord and my king and he died as a martyr because He believed that we don't live to die. We die to live. And so the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes and says, I will give you not just a crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy chapter 4, not just a crown of glory, 1 Peter, but I will give you the crown that is life itself, better than the crown that William and Kate will wear for their wedding 
better than the $120 million gift from the billionaire, the, the rainbow, the rainbow collection of diamonds that they will make, they say, into a crown for Kate, better than any crown in this world. After all, in Revelation, the elders don't keep on wearing their crowns, Revelation 4.4, but in Revelation 4.10, they take their crowns off and they place them at the, fate, at the feet of Jesus. And I read this week, I read this week that the people of Great Britain by 59% to 41% would prefer for William to be king when Elizabeth dies instead of Charles. I didn't know you get to vote on who the king is. Did you know that? Oh, you don't get to vote. The king is the king. All you get to decide is whether or not he is your king. Is Jesus your king? Does he reign without rival in your life? Is he a means to an end? Or is he the end itself? Your answer to that question really matters. Somebody came out last night and said to me, I don't care what you say. Jesus is a means to my end. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's either all in all or he's nothing at all to you. He's either Lord of your life or he is not Lord at all to you. Which is Jesus to you. You thought Easter came too late. I thought Easter came too late. But when I read, I discover Easter's not too late. Easter's right on time for my young friend Alan, who as a teenager suffered so much and then right on time went to be with the Lord where he suffered with the Lord here. He reigns with the Lord there. I thought about my friend John. I thought about my friend Emery. I thought about my friend Buster. I thought about all my friends who've gone to be with the Lord in recent days. I thought about Doris and Francis, and the list goes on and on and on. But Easter didn't come too late for them. Easter came early for them. Because where they live, it is always Easter. We don't live to die. We die to live. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your amazing love and grace and mercy Thank you for the promise of eternal life. Help us not to miss this moment, Lord, to worship you and give you all of our all. We thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.